the best news you've ever been given? There's all kinds of good news. Maybe it was uh, congratulations, you have a healthy baby girl or boy. Maybe it was uh, good news, the surgery was successful and the tumor is not malignant. Or maybe it's something more modest, perhaps. Good news. They're not going to prosecute. <laughs> but they did say, don't ever try to throw a fat frat party at the city hall ever again. All kinds of good news. But the best news that has ever been given was given not to kings or princes, not to rulers or governors, not to the powerful and privileged, but rather to a group of solitary shepherds on a lonely, moonlit hillside. The news they received that night was for all people the world over. The news was the Savior is born. On this Christmas morning, we will look once again at that familiar story as Luke tells it in the second chapter of his gospel. Luke chapter 2, I'll read for you the first 14 verses this morning. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. <clears throat> in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Thank you. Please take your seats. <clears throat> the greatest news, the best news ever delivered, came in a most unusual way. In the first verse of this passage, we read about uh, some probably unwelcome news that went out from Caesar Augustus that the entire Roman world was to be 
enrolled. That is, a census was to be taken. The King James Version says that uh, everyone was to be taxed. Of course, we know that the government wants to know how many of us there are because they don't want to miss out on any taxes, do they? So they count us from time to time. Now, this census was also for compulsory military service, but the Jews... Nevertheless, this census affected everyone, and so because of that, the news went out far and wide. They sent it everywhere they could. In today's world, they would hire an ad agency and a press agent. They would issue press releases. They would build a website. They would write news articles and send emails and texts like the ones I received repeatedly back in 2020 during our last census. It would be on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and everything else. So everyone would know. But when God announces the birth of the Savior of the world, good news which shall be to all people, He announces it to a bunch of shepherds in the middle of the night. Why in the world? Would God do something like that? And to shepherds of all people. Orthodox Jews looked down on shepherds because they couldn't keep all of the ceremonial regulations of the law. The demands of their jobs prevented them from undertaking the ritual cleansings and things of that nature that were necessary to be uh, right in their eyes. And so these shepherds were outcast by the holier-than-thou group. Why would God give the best news ever to people like that? Well, they couldn't come to God, so God came to them. We get a, a hint of what God was up to back in chapter 1 when Mary gave her song of praise in verse 52 of chapter 1. Mary says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. That's how God works. It's how He operates. And it may have been that these very shepherds who tended the lambs were tending the lambs for sacrifice in the temple. Now, the religious authorities had special flocks that they pastured near Bethlehem. Maybe it was that these were the shepherds who watched over those lambs. The temple authorities kept them there and the shepherds were watching them. These lambs who would be sacrificed for sins. Is it not appropriate that the shepherds who tended those lambs prepared for temple sacrifice should be the first ones to hear of the advent of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? It certainly seems fitting. Who better than shepherds to hear that God's Lamb had been born? The news of the birth of the shepherd, was un, of the Savior, that is, was unusual because 
It did not come with fanfare and trumpet blast to the mighty and the powerful, but rather quietly, unceremoniously, to lonely and lowly shepherds. And even now, at this very moment, the world makes its grand and glorious plans while God quietly works. During this season that has become so crowded with activity, with merchants selling and, and buyers buying, with gifts and meals and parties and travel and relatives and friends, we dare not forget that long ago a child was born in an out-of-the-way place in an unremarkable way, but that God was quietly bringing about the salvation of the world. This good news came not only unusually, but it came most unexpectedly. Centuries before Jesus was born, the Old Testament prophets hinted at the coming of a Messiah. Micah, for example, prophesied of a promised ruler who would come from Bethlehem and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, he said. Isaiah has even more explicit statements about not only the Messiah's virgin birth, but also His atoning and sacrificial death. But centuries had passed since those prophecies were delivered, and the Messiah had not arrived. Oh, there were some, of course, who waited expectantly for the arrival of the Messiah, like Simeon and Anna, later on in the second chapter of Luke, there were some who were alert and aware and ready, awaiting Christ's return. But among many of the people of God, complacency had overtaken expectancy. The Bible tells us that one day Christ is going to return. And the language in those texts is urgent and expectant. But how many of us live each day in expectancy for the return of Christ, for His second advent, if you will? How many of us have grown complacent about the second coming of Jesus? The Bible says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. How many of us are going to be caught off guard when it happens? Or worse yet, how many of us are going to be caught unprepared when it happens? I don't have time to explain it this morning, but I've spoken on it in the past. You can believe me when I say this. Christ will return for you in your lifetime. Are you living in the expectancy of that? You know, God doesn't schedule His actions with a calendar. In fact, it's more like a thermometer, a, a spiritual thermometer, if you will. If you recall last week's message, I spoke from Galatians chapter 4 which says, But when the time had fully come, 
God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might have the full rights of sons. Christ was born when the time was ripe and right, perfect and full, but very few expected it at the time. Certainly these shepherds were not expecting to see an angel that night, were they? Can you imagine how surprised they must have been? You know, in my mind, as I think about these shepherds out there keeping watch over their flocks by night, I, I, I reflect back on the old Western movies when the cowboys were on the cattle drive and the day was over and darkness had fallen and they had finished their supper from the chuck wagon and they're gathered around the campfire as the adrenaline of the day is waning and they're just uh, in a reflective mood as they prepare for sleep to come upon them. Maybe one of them pulls out a harmonica and starts playing Home on the Range when BAM! There's a shepherd! I mean, a, a, an angel, an angel, right there in front of them. They'd never seen an angel before. And the Bible says they were terrified, sore afraid, the King James says. I've always chuckled at that. I don't know what it means to be sore afraid, but they were. And it really wasn't so much because they had seen an, an angel and thought it was some kind of ghost or something. Rather, it was the natural human response of sinners in the presence of the holy. You recall some weeks ago I preached from Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah had his vision of the Lord, he said, Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips. Any one of us on that hillside that night would have been sore afraid when that holy angel showed up. And that's why the angel had to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've got good news. Now, their fear is simply evidence that they were caught completely by surprise. They didn't expect it. Sometimes the good news of Jesus Christ confronts us unexpectedly, without warning. You know, most conversions don't take place in churches. Nevertheless, the good news of Jesus may confront you unexpectedly, perhaps even at this moment on this Christmas morn. You didn't come here this morning with, with your family expecting to encounter the news of a Savior. You thought, yeah, this is what we do on Christmas. The family's going. I'll, I'll go along. It is Christmas after all. And yet, suddenly God has manifested Himself to you in a way you didn't anticipate, you didn't expect. You didn't imagine that God might break in on your life with the news of His Son, but He has. How would you respond to that? With joy and rejoicing? That's how the news came, joyously. We read 
what the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy. And then the multitude, the great company of the heavenly host appeared praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. It was joy overflowing. The heavenly host could not keep quiet. How could they? After all, they had waited for this day for ages upon ages upon ages. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they had waited for this day, for this moment, for this event in human history. We get the impression that they were so overcome with joy that it would have been impossible to contain it. Much like something Jesus said later as He entered into Jerusalem for the final week of His life. Luke tells the story in chapter 19. It says, As Jesus was drawing near at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Those who recognize what God is up to cannot resist breaking forth in praise and joy and gladness. And why were they so overjoyed? Why such exultation? What was God up to? Of all the things they'd seen God do in the past, why was this so special? After all, they'd seen God bring a flood over the entire inhabited earth. They had seen Him defeat great armies, bring a mighty Pharaoh to his knees, and free his people from bondage in Egypt. They had seen Him part the waters of the Red Sea so that the Israelites could pass through on dry ground. They had seen Him defeat the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel during the days of Elijah the prophet, they had been witness to all of the mighty acts that God had done in history. Why such a fuss over the birth of one little baby? Well, you know the answer to that. It's because of who that baby is. The King James Version of Luke 2, verse 11 I consider to be one of the greatest lines of prose ever put into print. It's beautiful in its phrasing, in its tempo, in its structure. But it's even more beautiful in its content. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Notice that they announced the birth, not of a prophet, 
He didn't say unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a teacher or a leader or a role model or even the Messiah. No, he said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. First and foremost, what we need the most, a Savior God sent us. This was no ordinary baby. This was a Savior for us. This baby would open the door for the redemption of all of humankind. This baby would seek and save that which was lost. This baby would make it possible for all of humanity to be saved. And let me tell you, there is nothing but nothing that brings more joy to God and His angels than when one lost sinner gets saved. Jesus told us that. Again, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus tells this little story. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin." In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the presence of the angels of God. That is God Himself, the one in whose presence the angels stand. God rejoices over one sinner who repents. That's why these angels were rejoicing that night as they announced the best news ever to these shepherds. And even at this very moment, the angels of God are peering over the banister of heaven, hoping against hope that one lost sinner on this Christmas will turn from their sins and turn to the Savior and be saved. Why do they want such a thing? Because they want to celebrate. They want to experience yet again that same joy that filled them as they announced this news to those shepherds that night. They want to celebrate what God is so desperate to give us. Back in uh, 2001, the tax people, H&R Block, ran a promotion offering walk-in customers a chance to win a drawing for a million dollars. Glenn and Gloria Sims of Sewell, New Jersey won the drawing. But when an H&R Block representative phoned them up with the good news, they refused to believe it. After several additional contacts by both mail and phone, the Sims still thought it was just a scam, that someone was trying to take advantage of them. And they usually just hung up the phone or they threw those special notices in the trash. Some weeks later, H&R Block called one more time to let the Sims know that the deadline for accepting the million-dollar prize 
was coming up and that the story of their refusal to accept the prize was going to appear on an upcoming episode of the NBC Today Show because it's so unusual. At that point, Mr. Sims finally decided he would investigate further. A few days later, he appeared on the Today Show to tell America what he and his wife had eventually done, that they went to H&R Block to claim the million-dollar prize. And Mr. Sims' final words were, from the time this has been going on, H&R Block explained to us they really wanted a happy ending to all this, and they were ecstatic that we finally accepted the prize. The givers were ecstatic that the recipients have, had accepted the prize. And so I tell you, God and His angels are ecstatic, overjoyed, every time a lost sinner finally believes the good news and accepts the prize of eternal life through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the world in a most unusual and unexpected way. But because He has come, there is cause for rejoicing to those who recognize what God has done in Jesus Christ for us. Do you recognize it? Do you rejoice this Christmas? Not because of the gifts others may have given you, but because of the greatest gift that was given us announced in the best news ever delivered on that moonlit hillside that first Christmas Eve. I pray that you recognize it and that you are overjoyed this Christmas at the reminder of what God has done for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Forgive us when we sleepwalk through Christmas time, failing to notice or recall the joy that came along with the announcement that a Savior had been born. The same Savior offers us salvation in His name through His sacrifice for our sins justified by His resurrection, given eternal life, nothing else compares. No other gift can begin to stand up beside the great gift that You have given us in Your Son, Jesus. Father, I pray this morning we would hear anew and afresh that good news that You have given us a Savior and that we would respond with not only faith, but joy. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. This Christmas day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.